Well, I'm definitely under the weather. Do not feel good. You know, we live in this weird age of hypochondria now. Where we saw this about a year and a half ago, where just about everybody was like, I think I have something. I think I've got that thing. I think I've got the you-know-what. I think I had it. It's created this odd hypochondria. And then, of course, people being like, I, I've got long-term symptoms even after I, re- I recovered. And you know, I was saying that. I'm still kind of saying that. Like I got sick in February 2020, and I, things haven't been the same. It's a, a new hypochondria that we all have where we're constantly evaluating our bodies constantly thinking we have something thinking we're going to get something it's like the age of germophobia and hypochondria but all focused on one thing i wanted to go to the store today we ended up getting a lot more snow than i expected I knew it was going to be cold, but it was kind of iffy as to whether we were going to get much snow. And I woke up to quite a bit, quite a bit. But then there's the whole situation where because I'm under the weather, is it even legal for me to leave the house? I mean, it's it wouldn't be a good idea. I mean, it didn't even get to 30 degrees today. I think it peaked out at maybe like 27 or 28 degrees at the warmest part of the day. So it probably would be bad for me to go walking in that weather. I don't know, they always say that, is that even true? Is that a an old wives' tale, a new wives' tale? It's a new wives' tale. That's that's also what this is. It's the age of the new wives' tale. You heard of the old wives? Well, say hello to the the new wives. You heard of the old wives? Well, say, say hello to the new wives. Yeah, we live in an age of new wives' tales. I never knew if that was an old wives' tale, like the idea that if you're in wet clothes, take them off. Get home and take them off. If you're in wet clothes for too long, you'll get sick. Is that even true? I mean, it's not good to be shivering, you know, as wet clothes cool you. They cool you down. I know it's not good to walk around in wet clothes. I mean, I know it's just extremely uncomfortable. It's like being fat, actually. I always talk about how the worst part about being fat was just the way that clothes hug you in certain places. That's what it's like when you're in wet clothes. You're simulating being fat because your clothes hug you in un- uncomfortable ways. But that's a good enough reason to take off wet clothes. But I've never known if uh, being out in the cold actually makes you sick. Obviously, freezing to death is bad. Obviously, you don't want to be too cold for too long. It's not good for your body. But I've never known if that's actually a significant contributing fa- contributing factor to being sick, being out in the cold. I mean, I guess if you're already sick, it's probably not good to go outside and be cold. It's probably not good to move around too much on top of that. But I was thinking like, well, what if I did walk to the store? What if I did walk to the store? You know, because my only real symptom is, I don't even know if I'd call it a head cold because I never know what that is. When people are like, I got a head cold. It was just a head cold. I don't know anything. I truly don't. But you always hear about head colds, and I guess you know it if you got it. If you got a head cold, you know it's a head cold. But just got that feeling. You get that feeling in your head where you just say, something's not right, and I'm very tired when I shouldn't be. That's really my only symptom. It's just my head feels weird. I'm tired. You feel a little disoriented. I think that's a head cold. You feel a little disoriented, a little bit of the sniffles, but not significantly. So that's what's going on. And that's the thing, too, is, you know, working in an office for years, I remember people would just come in sick and someone would be like, you're sick. I can you're coughing, you're sick. And people would be like, well, I don't want to I don't want to waste my sick time. I don't want to use my sick time when I'm actually sick. And they'd get everybody in the office sick. It happened every single time somebody came into the office sick, which was all the time. And now that's a crime. But it used to feel like a crime then because it's like, you're going to get me sick. And yeah, it's going to be a manageable sickness. It's going to be a cold or the flu or something. But still, like, you're getting everybody sick. And then now it's a crime. A social crime. But anyway, enough about that. We'll see how I feel tomorrow on my birthday. See how I feel on my birthday. 
I'm drinking a uh, a black cherry vanilla bang, which, as I've said before, is medicinal. I didn't plan that. I had a black cherry vanilla bang in the fridge, and I didn't know I was going to be sick, but I just happened to have the medicinal flavor, and it has medicinal properties. Even if it's all in my head, even if it's all in my head cold, black cherry vanilla to me is the medicinal flavor. And if it's a medicinal flavor, it will it, it's medicinal. But I, I was notified today, I was informed today that another person has lost their bang virginity. And just get used to this, because my influence is going to grow as more and more people, you know, it's very important that I make these announcements. You know, some podcasts do lame shout outs. Well, my version of that is announcing when people lose their bang virginity. And I was informed today that somebody lost their bang virginity, perhaps indirectly as a result of me, but still because of my influence, which tells me my influence is growing. I was told today that a second French Canadian had his first bang, Dominic Dominique. Have you, however you say the name Dominic in the French territories of Canada, I was told that he had his first bang, and that might be indirect. I, I, that's possibly the result of me influencing somebody directly who in turn influenced another person. It's kind of like setting somebody up on a date with a girl, and then they set somebody else up on a date with that same girl. And I, I've never set anybody up on a date. <laughs> Could you introduce me to somebody? Could you introduce me? To, people have asked me that before in my life. They've been like, "Can you? do you know any girls? I used to work with this guy, this very nerdy guy. I've talked about him on here because he was such a case study. He was a guy where like, he, in high school he had designed his own World of Warcraft server. I've talked about him because he was one of those people who just, he never, you work with him and he never stops talking and you don't hate him. You don't even dislike him, but he just, everything that's on his mind just comes out. I, you know, I do that here, but I try not to subject other people to that. But there was one time where he just asked me, he was like, you know, any girls? Like he would ask me a lot about like where to meet girls. I, I, I do remember talking about him sort of in this context because there was one time where he was like, like, what should I do on a date? Like, if I meet a girl, what should I do on a date? And first of all, like, I'm a terrible person to ask for dating advice. But uh, he asked me, like, what to do on a date? And I was like, well, just get a drink. And he goes, what? He, he was just he's taken aback by that. He's like, but wouldn't that imply that I'm trying to sleep with her? And I was like, not necessarily. I mean, that's, I guess, part of it's on the table. You know, people who just meet somebody and sleep with them do often meet up for a drink, but it's just, it's the easiest icebreaker. It's better than meeting up for a meal. I mean, some of the worst first dates that I've ever been on are when you meet up at a restaurant. It's always really awkward. It's it's worse than a movie, in my opinion. And I mean, granted, like, again, this is why I don't give dating advice, because I'm a freak about restaurants. You know, I, I'm very restaurant averse. I feel very unnatural and strange, like I don't belong in restaurants. So you combine that with a first date atmosphere. And there was that first date I talked about here where it was with a girl who was a recovering junkie who was raised Jehovah's Witness, and she had served a year in prison for embezzlement. Like she had never done a single drug and her coworker gave her an Oxycontin because she was having some sort of pain. And she loved it so much. Like, she had never smoked weed. I don't, I don't think she'd ever drank. If she had, you know, she wasn't a partier. But her coworker just gave her an Oxycontin just to be like, oh, you're in pain? Like, we'll try this. And then she loved it so much that she got addicted. And next thing she knew, she was embezzling. Like, she worked in the returns department for a major company. And she was falsifying returns and just pocketing the money. And she got caught and ended up serving, I believe, if not a year, close to a year. She served a substantial prison term. And what was so weird about that is like, yeah, she was raised very sheltered Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's? I always thought it was Jehovah's. It wasn't until I was an adult that I realized it was possessive. Jehovah's. Apostrophe S. I always thought it was Jehovah's. She's a Jehovah's Witness. 
Um, but uh, she was raised very sheltered. And then I noticed that, like, since she had served a year in prison, she kind of talked like it. Like, she, she was telling me how she would, like, just sit around playing cards all day because that was all there was to do and just talking to the other, the other women there who were obviously more criminal. But I noticed talking to her that she, her, the tone of her voice, you know, it's kind of like somebody who spent, like, Madonna taking on a British accent. It's like if, if you spend enough time in a foreign country, how you start to kind of model their accent. Like she had kind of taken on a prison accent, what we call a prison accent. And it was, and you could, and she wasn't posing. She just literally spent a year around inmates. But it was a first date in a restaurant. And I, for some reason, I think it was the middle of summer and it wasn't nerves so much. It was just a hot day, and I think that, like, I think I walked or something. I think there was some reason, but I was just sweating profusely. And then, because I was on a first date in a restaurant with bright lights and everything, it just added to the whole. It just made it basically. I never stopped sweating. So just like sitting there eating curry, facing somebody I don't know, sweating profusely, listening to stories about how easy it is for a totally innocent girl raised in a religious bubble to get hooked on Oxycontin and then heroin. Because that's a thing. It's like she got into Oxy and then that led her to heroin. Just zero, not just zero to 60, zero to 100. But when that kid asked me, he's like, what do you what do you even do? On a, where do you even go on a first date? I was just like, uh, get a drink. Because he drank. Like he, it wasn't like he didn't drink or anything. I could understand if he was sober and I told him, get a drink. No, no, I know you don't drink, but get a drink. You know, I could see if I was saying that, but no, he, he was a kid who would have a drink and everything, but he was just taking a bag. He's like, doesn't that like, isn't that very presumptuous? And I'm like, it's what people do. But uh, I've never, he, he's one of the only people, I mean, it's happened a few times where people, do you know any girls? It's like, yeah, I, just, I have this list of girls. I'm the Fonz and I have a little black book. I mean, I wouldn't even want to set up two friends on a date. Like, if I knew a single man and a single woman, and they were both friends of mine, I don't want to make that connection. I don't even like to introduce my friends to each other. I don't even like to introduce friends together socially. I don't even like to hang out with two friends at the same time, let alone set them up on a date together. But yeah, hearing about somebody else drinking a bang, perhaps indirectly through my influence, it's like I set somebody up on a date. I set somebody up with a bang, and they in turn perhaps set somebody up with a bang. Nice how that works. The story continues. I got a little feedback from a female listener in response to that whale tail rant. More like a, um, I don't know if that was a rant, that was more just... um, not a confession either, because it's not something I hide. People have known, like just friends have known that's sort of a fetish of mine. I don't even know if it's a fetish. It doesn't seem like a fetish. I like it when girls have very skimpy underwear that you can see when they bend over or sit down. It doesn't seem fetishistic. That's like Jeffrey Dahmer's dad in his book being like, I'm trying to understand why my dad became, or (laughs) Jeffrey Dahmer's dad being like, I'm trying to understand why my son became a murderous sex criminal, a homosexual murderous sex criminal. Well, I was thinking about it. And like when I was a kid, I had a fantasy about girls with really big boobs. And there was a neighbor girl and I had this fantasy about having her under my control and being able to do whatever I want. He actually says that in his book, Lionel Dahmer. It's a really good book. I recommend it. You know, it's sort of a, it's true crime adjacent, but it's not true crime. It's more just kind of like, hey, this is a, a guy's dad trying to speak very honestly. Jeffrey Dahmer's dad trying to speak very honestly about the family and his life and how he feels about, you know, his son's infamy. But yeah, Lionel Dahmer's book, and I just I laughed out loud reading it because he's just like, yeah, you know, I, th- I think that Jeffrey might have gotten it from me because I used to like girls with big boobs when I was a kid, and I wanted to do whatever I wanted to them. And he's like, and I also, I'm, I'm, he's a scientist, and he's like, I'm also a scientist, and I, I used to like to make little homemade explosives and blow them up in fields when I was a kid. 
And it's like, oh, you did all the, you're a totally normal boy, Lionel. Lionel Dahmer, you're a totally normal, you were a totally normal boy. You like big, uh, big double DDs. You like the idea of girls doing what you want. And you like to blow up small explosives in fields. I, oh, I, I totally get it. Jeffrey totally got his cannibalistic homosexual murder streak from you. But it was sweet. That's a, that's the thing is it's it's really sweet to read that because it's like he's trying to relate to his son. You know he's trying to relate to his son, but it comes across so funny because it's like you're a, you were a totally normal boy. You had totally normal libidinous desires and a totally normal interest in like doing slightly subversive activities like blowing up small it's like i used to like to light fireworks that's totally like breaking you know one of the 10 commandments about not killing people but um anyway got a a uh, you know so i don't even think that's a fetish like me saying like oh I find whale tails very sexually attractive. I find it very attractive when a girl's very revealing skinny, uh, you know, skimpy underwear is sticking out of her pants suggestively. Calling that a fetish or acting like there's anything weird or confessional about that is silly. Seems totally normal to me. Although, as I was saying, there were guys who'd be like, that's disgusting. Which, you know, to each his own. But I got a response from a female listener. Always got to get that female perspective on here. Who said, you know, the reason why, you know, us girls like wearing thongs is because, you know, you, you don't get a wedgie. Which is funny because that was something that people would always say. Like, like her saying, like, the reason, you know, women like wearing thongs is to avoid getting a wedgie. It, it's, it's funny because that's what people would always say about it. They'd be like, it's just you have a wedgie all the time. But that's not true. That witty observation that, oh, a thong is having a wedgie all the time. That's not true. In order to get a wedgie, you have to be wearing something that normally doesn't give you a wedgie. It's not a wedgie if it's up your ass all the time. It's not, though. It's philosophical. It's like you're not relapsing... If you drink all the time, you're not relapsing if you're high all the time. You're not getting fit if you're already fit. You're not getting, you're not fat if you're already fat. Like you're not getting fat. Like maybe you're getting fatter, but you're not getting fat if you're already fat. You're not getting fit if you're already fit. You're not getting drunk if you're already drunk. You're not getting a wedgie if this thing is already up your ass all the time. So I think that's an important point that people miss. All these people, I used to hear that back in the day, like when thongs became the new standard, when they became common, you'd hear people make this very clever remark that, oh, it's it's like having a wedgie all the time. It's not. Because in order for it to be a wedgie, you have to be wearing something that doesn't, it's not supposed to give you a wedgie. You ever think about that? You can only get a wedgie if you're wearing normal underwear. If you're wearing something that does that all the time, it's not technically a wedgie. So that's an important observation that I had never actually thought about. Like, it used to rub me the wrong way when I would hear that observation, and I never knew why. I never knew why it bothered me when they're like, it's just, it's this form of underwear that just gives you a 24-7 wedgie. Something used to rub me the wrong way about that. Maybe because I felt it was a criticism of thongs. I think what rubbed me the wrong way about that was that I felt like it was a criticism of thongs. And that couldn't be more... That couldn't be more... I felt like that was a criticism of me. (laughs) I felt like when, when I heard people making criticisms of that form of underwear, as a fan of that form of underwear, on women... I've never worn one, Jesus. But as a fan of that form of underwear on women, I almost felt like they were criticizing me. 
And so I think that's what bothered me about it. But it also bothered me that like people thought they were being witty and I felt they were being wrong. I felt they were wrong. And it's only in the last 24 hours that I've realized why that is. It's because it's not a wedgie. It doesn't count as a wedgie. You can't diagnose it as a wedgie if that's what it's already doing all the time. It's only a wedgie if something that isn't intended to do that does that. So think about that. Think about that for a little bit. If it doesn't make sense now, it will later. But, you know, there's all these articles that came out. I forgot to mention this last night. I got so caught up in my lecherous fantasies that I forgot to comment on this where they're all I, I've seen these for a while now in the last year or so where a bunch of articles, a bunch of editorials like fashion articles have come out where they're like the whale tails back. Is that a good thing? I haven't seen it. Maybe, maybe because I'm not exposed enough. Although, actually, you know, I was talking about this last July, like last July was it was when they stopped requiring masks. It was when most people around here were vacked. And so as a result, the world opened up fully for a month. And I was talking about how, like, I kept seeing girls in thongs in public, which, I mean, it was incredible. But I saw, you know, there was a girl in, like, a see-through dress. It wasn't just that it was white and you could kind of see. It was like her dress was entirely see-through. I saw a woman down the street sitting in her in her driveway, like, playing with her kids wearing one. Um, I saw a girl down at the marina getting off a boat wearing one. But I haven't seen whale tails. But apparently it's back. And there's been a whole, you know, just like uh, new, like, just like how Zomers are getting into new metal now. Like, there are Zomers who weren't old enough to have actually experienced new metal. And so now they're wearing, like, new metal shirts and Marilyn Manson shirts. Like there are kids who are going through this pseudo Malgoth phase now, like in the same way, like I remember like when my sister was a teenager in the mid nineties, a bunch of her friends kind of went through a hippie phase and they were wearing bell bottoms, like bell bottoms came back. I mean, that's how things always work. Things used to be on a 20 year cycle where like 20 years after something was popular, people bring it back. I think that's changed. I think the internet has changed that the the nostalgia factory that is the internet has ramped that process up where trends come back quicker and they don't really stick as much. But I've seen that in a few different places. Like I made a comment a while back on social media where I was like, I'm looking forward to when women start wearing those long sweater trench coats again. You heard of the trench coat mafia? Well, this is the sweater trench coat mafia. Like, and it was always a certain type of girl. Like when I was in high school, there was a certain type of girl who she was going for more of like, a, I'm in my 20s. Like there was a girl, I, I had a computer class. I had a computer class with this girl. And I, I didn't know who she was. She was, I think, a year older than I was. And she would always come into class wearing one of those sweater trench coats, holding a Starbucks. And she was always a few minutes late. Like she would come into class, like jingling her keys on one hand and with a, a cup of Starbucks in the other hand, wearing a sweater trench coat. And I could tell that her whole vibe was like, I'm in my 20s. Like, this is what girls in our, in our 20s do. Like, her whole vibe was like, I'm not just a high school girl. I'm in my 20s. Even though she was a high school girl, even though she was 17, her whole vibe was like, oh, I'm juggling my keys and my Starbucks. Like, I got to go through the Starbucks. You know, I got to go to Starbucks before school. Because a lot of because that's that's what those, those uh, sweater trench coats like they looked kind of sophisticated they were weird they were like a bathrobe but girls would wear a sweater trench coat with like dark jeans tucked into boots and it was kind of like communicating that like I'm a young woman now I'm a woman now it wasn't just every girl who wore those it was a certain type of girl who was kind of going for like I'm a I'm an adult woman now vibe. And nobody talked about them at the time. Like nobody, nobody commented on the sweater trench coats that I remember. They were just around and then they were gone for a while. And I just made a joke like a year or two ago where I was like, I think it was about a year ago where I was just like, oh, I'm looking forward to when the sweater trench coats come back. And uh, a woman I know, Paula, 
very sharp. Like Paula, someone I used to hang out with here who I think moved away. But Paula, very astute observer of culture. Always has really great takes. And she commented, they're already back. She was like, get with the times. Like she was like, and by the way, because I, and I mentioned something about the 20 year cycle of fashion trends. And she was like, and by the way, it's not 20 years anymore. So she knows what she's talking about. I was a little insulted because I was like, I know that. I've been saying that. I've been saying that the 20 year cycle has ended. And now it's like a 10 year cycle. But she was like, she, and she actually told me through her, I learned that those sweater trench coats are actually called long line coats. Or something to that effect. Long line sweaters. There's some. It involves the phrase long line, which makes sense. Like, like when you look at those sweater trench coats, they look like long line. I don't, I don't remember what the official term is, but it involves long line. She's like long line sweaters or long line, I think long line sweaters. Because they're basically a sweater, like a button-up sweater that's really long. But she was like... Just so you know, they're already back and they've been back for like two years. And just so you know, the 20-year cycle is a lot shorter now. And I was like, I know. Trust me, I know. I've been, say- I've been saying that the snake is swallowing more and more of its own tail. The, or- the Ouroboros is choking on more and more of its own tail. And as a result, the cycle of trends coming back is much faster. I know. But I let her, you know, I let her have that one. She deserved it because she knew. She knew that. And she's got, she's always got really good takes, good commentary on those things. So I just, you know, I just let her, I let her school me because I didn't know they were back because I didn't know about that. I didn't know that long line sweaters were back, but it makes sense that all of that fashion is back. It makes sense that there have been articles in the last year that say like the whale tail is coming back low rise. Cause I heard that too. I heard low rise jeans are coming back, which makes sense. The whale tail can only properly come back. If uh, the low-rise jeans are back. But I've seen these articles that are like, is that a good thing? And there was even one I saw that was like, the whale tail is coming back. Should you do it? Should we do it? You know, that's something that just disturbs the heck out of me. The amount of editorials that say like, we need to talk about this. Should we? Talking as a collective, speaking as a collective, there's a lot of that. And you didn't used to see that. I don't remember newspaper editorials that say, like, we need to talk about this. And what's interesting is they use that for everything from, like, racism. Like, everything from, we need to talk about how Instagram filters are racist. We need to talk about how whale tail thongs are back. You know, it's, it's, it's funny how they use that. We need to talk. We need to talk about blank. It's like this game of Mad Libs. But they use it for everything from something that's supposed to be dead serious, like racism, to whale tail thongs coming back. It's just, and I've noticed that it's very feminine for one. You know, I've noticed that women in general tend to speak more that way. We. Are we doing this? Oh, are we doing this now? It's, it, you see it casually, too. It's not just editorials. It's not just in... Uh, on news websites and stuff where you say, we need to talk about it. It's also, oh, are we doing this now? Are we doing this now? Another one is, can we talk about? You see that with like Marvel movies. I saw something just recently where someone's like, can we talk about the scene in the new Spider-Man where uh, so-and-so like tells off so-and-so and it's amazing? Can we talk about how... Uh, Boba Fett's dad fired his wrist rockets in Luke Skywalker's face, and it was amazing. It's stuff like that. Can we talk about? There's this. It's that consensus. That that's been a, a word that I've been using a lot lately. There's a lot of this consensus-oriented talk, where in addition to people like demanding consensus about everything, everything from your health and medicine to your social and political views. There's this demand for consensus that everybody has to share that view and be acting in harmony with one another. But it's also this kind of consensus talk where it's like, we need to talk about this. Why do we need to talk about that? Or can we talk about how Spider-Man 
stuck his web on a wall and swung and he did a backflip and it was amazing. Can we talk about that? Oh, can we? Can we talk about that? I don't know. I'm curious if anybody else has noticed that. I feel like it's hard to avoid, but there's a lot of this we. We need to talk about. Can we talk about? But I thought it was funny that there was a whale tail article. It's like the whale tail is back and should we be doing that? Should we be wearing that? But the thing is, if it's deliberate, it's not good. That's the whole thing is it's like it's not attractive. Like there was a thing like I never liked the the whale tail where it was pulled up really high. Like there was a female pro wrestler, Lita. There was kind of this like new metal sort of wrestling group it was the Hardy brothers, Jeff and Matt Hardy. They were like the new thing in town when I was really into pro wrestling. And they wore jinkos basically. They wore really baggy jinkos and like see-through mesh black shirts and like chokers. And they had a girl, like their manager, but she was also a wrestler who did high-flying moves, and her name was Lita. And, you know, her her aesthetic was very much a product of the time, the early 2000s, because she wore really baggy jinkos with a thong pulled up really high to where you could see it, like, hugging her hips. I never found that attractive. It's too obvious. It's deliberate. A whale tail isn't attractive if it's deliberate, if it's pulled up really high, like Gillian Anderson even, out of all people, but like Gillian Anderson, you know, Scully from the X-Files, she went to some awards ceremony where she was wearing a dress that was like low cut in the back, long line low cut, no, but it was low cut as they say in the back. And and, and she deliberately showed off a whale tail, which is an interesting look for her. You know, I know people who think she's the hottest thing in the world, or they used to. Like, back at the height of the X-Files, I had friends who were like, man, my my celebrity crush is scolding from the X-Files. I, I was never into her. Never really attracted to her. You know, she's pretty, but I, I just, I wasn't sexually attracted to Gillian Anderson. But it wasn't attractive to me. Like, on top of the fact, well, because that's the thing. That, that This is how low it goes, where... Uh, like, if a, if a woman isn't normally attractive to me, but she has a whale tail, that's still sexually attractive to me. I mean, within reason. Like, if she's somebody who I would find just completely disgusting, I don't like it. But it's like, if a woman is very plain, it's kind of like what I was saying. If, like, sometimes you would see kind of like a quiet, nerdy girl in high school, and she would have a whale tail, and you, it would be that much more exciting. Because it's like, I didn't think she would do that. I didn't think she would wear that. But it's kind of the same thing. Like if a girl's really plain and normally you wouldn't even give her a second glance and she has a whale tail, that's very sexually attractive. It's like some sort of uh, that equation works out in her favor. But with Gillian Anderson at the awards ceremony, it's because she was doing it deliberately. I was just like, eh, you know, I don't care. And that's how I felt about any time I saw it deliberately. So, like, if that trend is coming back and people are doing that on purpose, it's not attractive to me. And you can't manufacture that either. Like, the idea of women these days, if it's true, if this story is true that's being written about, that the whale tail is back, if people are doing that on purpose, I don't like it. Because you can't recreate magic. Because that's what that was, like, 20 years ago, that was magic. It was like the perfect set of circumstances led to women wearing that underwear, wearing those types of pants, and just being in a situation where that gets revealed. You can't just manufacture that in 2021. I'm not going to complain. I mean, there, trust me, there are much bigger things to complain about. I'm not going to tell them not to do it. But I'm also going to tell you, you can't manufacture magic. You can't force magic to happen. Something to think about. It's not a wedgie if it's made to be that way. And you can't manufacture the whale tail phenomenon. You can't recreate it. You can't properly recreate it. This medicinal black cherry vanilla is making me feel pretty good. But no, you, you can't, I mean, you can't manufacture anything. I mean, you can't, 
like if you if you know somebody's doing a magic trick, I guess you can appreciate it for the skill, for the ability. But it's different than just seeing something that can't be explained. You know, that's just true. Like, I mean, that's the thing about if you know how to do something. Like somebody who knows how magic tricks work is going to experience magic tricks much differently. You know, it's the same for being a creative person. Like if you know what goes into making something, some of the illusion is lost. You see things. I mean, I think it's almost like if you're listening to music and you hear a certain effect. Like if you know the exact effect that is on a guitar, it might not make you... I mean, it's not, it's not like it's going to ruin the music for you because the magic is in the person's spirit. The magic is in their hands, maybe. But it's still going to be a different experience. Like I think about hanging out with this girl and her friends in high school... And they were obsessed with, um, who was, it was a soundtrack. It was one of those weird little things where like her and her friends were just completely obsessed with this 90s movie soundtrack. Is it like, don't tell mom the babysitter's dead or something? It had like an alternative rock soundtrack. And there was a song on the album and it started out with a sound that I immediately recognized. But they didn't play music or know much about music, so it was a total mystery to them. And what it was, it was like the sound that uh, it was like the sound of guitar feedback. Like if you turn on an amp, and there's like some initial feedback, like processed through like a reverb pedal. But it sounds kind of weird. It was like that sort of sound, and they had no idea what that was. And it turned out this was a whole ongoing conversation they would have where like all their friends had sat down in the car and at some point they had had a conversation where they were like, what do you think that sound is? And one of them had a theory that was totally wrong. It was like, well, I think it's this. And apparently this was something that like anytime somebody rode in the car with them, they would play them that song, which is really cute and fun. What they were doing was really cute and fun where they would play people that song and they would ask them like, what do you think that is? And I heard it, and I go, oh, that's... They turned their amplifier on, and there was, like, an initial burst of guitar feedback run through, like, a reverb pedal. And they were like, oh. You could sense the disappointment. Like, you you could tell they didn't want to believe me. I was being an atheist. I was being an atheist in that moment. I was like, well, the the facts and logic are that when you turn on an amplifier and your guitar's volume knob is up and you're standing close to the amplifier and there's a reverb and a flanger pedal, a flanger pedal, it'll make a sound like that. Like I was, I was uh, brutalizing them with facts and logic and they didn't want to hear it because they had faith. They believed that that sound was something supernatural in nature. And they spent time talking about it. That was what was amazing to me. Is like her and all her friends had sat around being like, well, I think it's this. I think it's this. Like my friend Nick and I had a joke. Like when he lived here, he's my childhood best friend. When, when he lived in Olympia for a while, I'd go over to his house and drink every Friday night. Just a ritual we had. And one day he was like, he had this huge piece of cardboard. Like it was like a seven foot tall maybe like a six foot long piece of cardboard. And he was like, let's paint a map of Kirkland. Let's get drunk and just paint. And we sectioned it off by neighborhood. And we decided each neighborhood was going to be a different color. So it was like the full rainbow of color, including browns. There were different shades of brown. There were some disgusting colors, but also like orange and blue and green. You know what a rainbow looks like. Don't need to tell you what a rainbow looks like. But so we paint, we were painting this map, and it was seriously so fun. So much more fun than any art I've ever made. You know, you're just, you're just drinking and just making a map of our childhood hometown and just filling in, because there's different neighborhoods, you know, and they're sectioned off, and just painting each neighborhood a different color. And Nick made a, a joke where he's like, this is going to be in a gallery 
and nobody's going to know that it's a map. It's just going to look like an abstract painting because that's what it kind of looked like. It just looked like an abstract painting of just like a bunch of different colors. And he's like, and there's going to be a guy, he's, his name's going to be Richard. And Richard's going to look at look at this and he's going to go, I don't know, I think it's a map. And everyone's going to be like, no. I don't know, I, I think it's a map. And everybody's going to challenge him. He had to be there. I thought it was funny though. The idea that this is going to end up in a gallery and nobody's going to know that it was originally a map. And Richard's going to look at it and go, I don't know. I think it's a map. People are going to be like, no, no. It's not a map. I don't know. I think it's I think it's guitar feedback. Somebody's leaning a little too... They have their guitar a little too close, too close to the amplifier and they turned the amp on and so there was a burst of feedback that went through a couple effects pedals and I can even tell you which effects pedals they are. Nobody wants to hear that. That's an atheist talking. Because the thing is, atheism exists everywhere. It's not just God. You know, I've talked about this before with pro wrestling, where there's such a thing as a pro wrestling atheist, which is that person who always felt the need to insist, it's not real. Dude, it's not real. You know, you know it's not real. Rest- pro wrestling is about faith. And I think it was, wasn't it Mick Foley? I think Mick Foley's book is called like how the how the pro wrestling industry is more real, how pro wrestling is more real than the real world or something to that effect, which more and more that seems true. But the pro wrestling atheist who's like, hey, you know, uh, it's not real. Did you know it's fake? Did you know Santa's not real? There's, you know, there's Christmas atheists. Did you know Santa's not real? People feel the need to be atheists about everything. I was an atheist in that moment where I was explaining the facts and logic behind that mysterious sound on this soundtrack. And you could sense the disappointment. Like, it wasn't fun. But the thing is, I couldn't play along. I couldn't play along with the joke because it's like, I would be lying. I would be lying to myself if I was like, I don't know what that sound is. I think it's a, I think it's a banshee wrapped in bubble tape with a rag stuffed in its mouth trying to make its last last gasp for air i don't think they would have liked that either i don't think they would have liked that either so it was either i either had the choice of lying and making up something fantastic to play along with their fun little game Let's guess what the weird sound is at the beginning of the song. But it just shows you, I mean, it kind of plays into what I've talked about with music, where when I was a little kid, and I didn't know how the magic trick was done, I would listen to a song, and I couldn't differentiate the bass from the guitar. I couldn't tell you what each drum sound was. Like, I couldn't tell you what the snare drum was, what the hi-hat was. I couldn't tell you what the effects were. I couldn't tell you if there was more than one guitar. It just all sounded like one organism. Because I didn't know what the magic trick was. I didn't know how the magic trick was done. Whereas you get older, you listen to more music, maybe you play a little music, what we call playing a little music. Uh, and you, it doesn't ruin music for you, but it's a different experience when you know what everything is. And I used to, like before I knew anything about music too, like I had a friend who was a very skilled bass player. He ended up playing in some like, kind of well-known metal bands. I lost touch with them. Like, I think he played in a band that was on Metal Blade Records. It's awful stuff. I mean, you know, stuff, like, despite being in metal, like, the stuff that he was involved in was terrible. But good for him. You know, he always wanted to be, uh, he worshipped Cliff Burton. He was one of those kids who played bass at a young age and worshipped Cliff Burton. And he was amazing. Like he, he was a genuinely skilled bass player. One time he played the uh, what's it called? Uh, what's the um, what's the famous Cliff Burton bass solo? I'm forgetting it. I'm forgetting the name of that song offhand. But it's the famous. It's just a track with, where Cliff Burton's just playing bass. He played that in front of our whole class for a project. He brought in a little practice amp. And he just stood in front of our class playing that. And he played it perfectly. 
It didn't live up to the kid. I, I went to school with this kid, John, super nerd. He was like on internet forums and meeting people from the internet before anybody did that. And he would wear a, uh, he had a mullet in junior high, like long after mullets were, you know, long after anybody actually had mullets. And he didn't have it ironically. It was like he had just had a mullet when he was like five years old and he never got anything else. And then by high school, he had, he had grown his hair out like down to his kneecaps practically. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but he had grown his hair insanely long and he just wore it in this long slick back ponytail and he would wear not a jean jacket, but a denim shirt, like a long sleeve denim shirt, really baggy with like a baggy gamer shirt underneath and jeans. So he had that uh, really good look jeans with a matching denim shirt all very baggy with a ponytail that like went down all the way down his back super nerd really funny guy talked with a lisp had some sort of minor speech impediment didn't get bullied you know i saw somebody try to pick on him once and that was actually like the only time that i was like the good samaritan who was like don't mess with him man don't mess with him i'm I'm a good person don't mess don't pick on him I only ever saw one person try to pick on him, and I actually did intervene. I was like, you don't do that. I think I just stepped in, and I was like, you don't do that. Not to John. John ruled. He and I co-wrote articles for our high school newspaper. We did an, an advice column together, and I, I found some copies of that, and it was some very offensive stuff. There was a question. I would write the questions and pretend they were coming from students, and then he would answer them, and we called him Dr. John. It was like uh, advice from Dr. John. And he was very witty, like in an old school internet way. Before like internet humor was really its own thing. Like before internet humor was its own genre, he had that sort of witty internet humor going on. And so I would write these advice columns, or we would write these advice columns together where I would come up with the questions. And like sometimes they would be, I would pretend to be a girl. And I would ask him some really girly question that was really silly. One of the questions I asked him was, I was like, dear John, dear Dr. John, I'm currently on fire. What should I do? Just high school kids being zany. But he always had really funny answers. But um, he was obsessed with Blind Guardian and Iced Earth. Blind Guardian, though, was his absolute favorite band. And we had health class together. And he brought in, I don't even see, that's the thing is kids would find a way. Like my other friend finding a way to do the Cliff Burton bass solo in front of our entire English class. Like, I don't even know how he pulled that off. I don't know how he worked that into an English class project, but kids would find a way. Kids would find a way. If they were into Cliff Burton and played bass, they would find a way to do an English project that involved playing a Cliff Burton solo in front of the entire English class. And nobody even knew what to say. They probably didn't even know what it was. Like, they probably couldn't even hear it. But uh, John, some, Dr. John somehow found a way to play Blind Guardian for our entire health class. Like, we're probably just talking about AIDS. Because that's all you ever talked about in health class when I was growing up. It was all just talking about AIDS. And somehow he found a way to play a Blind Guardian song for the entire class. And the teacher was this, you know, just kind of like a mild-mannered guy with glasses. And there was a part with a, a, an insane guitar part. It was just some like insane, like really fast. Because that's the thing. I didn't listen to Blind Guardian. I have no beef with that kind of music. I have no beef with like really cheesy late 90s power metal. I just, I just never listened to it. But uh, John, he brought that in. He played some song that had just, I didn't know how fast they got at times. There was a part where like a guy was, I don't know if he was doing some kind of tapping or there was, it was like a, there was a, all kinds of harmony going on, and it was the guitar player just doing something insanely fast, like probably tapping. And uh, the teacher stopped, and he was like, "John, what instrument is that? What instrument is that?" And it was amazing to me. Like it plays into what I'm talking about. We're like not knowing how the magic trick is done. We're like this health teacher who's like 50 years old. He's hearing Blind Guardian for the first time ever. He's probably just trying to figure out how this kid worked Blind Guardian into his health class presentation. I have no idea. And he's hearing like an insane guitar part that he's never heard in his life. Even I'm kind of blown away. As a metal fan, even I'm kind of blown away by what I'm hearing. 
And his name was Mr. Chambers, which is a great name. Mr. Chambers. Mr. Chambers says, John, what instrument is that? And John's like, guitar. Duh. But just whatever he was hearing, like, what, did he, what instrument did he think that was? Like, what would he have guessed? But it just shows you, like, when you don't know how the magic trick is done, like, he might as well have been those girls in the car listening to the, you know, I don't know, you know what the soundtrack was? It was like the Axe Murderer one. Like, whatever, I'm an Axe Murderer. I can't remember the name of that. Don't Tell Mom I'm an Axe Murderer. I think Mike Myers was in it. Those girls listening to the Axe Murderer soundtrack being like, what is that sound? And it's just guitar feedback. That's how that Mr. Chambers guy was. He was like, what instrument is that? And it was just a guitar, <laughs> you know? But, you know, John, there was a day, too, where, like, because I had a bunch of classes with John, and I would just talk to him the entire time. He was a great person to have class with because he, he never ran out of things to tell you about. And it was always interesting. Whether he was talking about, like, some game. Like, he, he was obsessed with this game called Marathon. It was apparently an old shooter game, an old first-person shooter game, but I had never heard of it. But it was called Marathon, and he designed his own levels. He was very involved so he'd tell you all about Marathon. He'd tell you all about something else. He just had... And, and the thing is, too, he's one of those kids... And this is an interesting breed of of child where, like, his dad was a, a rock drummer and a mechanic. And he had stories about his dad. Like, he had a story about how his dad was playing drums in some, like, hard rock band in the late 70s. And uh, they were playing at a bar and Hell's Angels were there. And the Hells Angels just went up to them afterward and basically kidnapped them and were like, we're throwing an after party and you guys are going to play. Like they were just playing at a bar and these Hells Angels were just like, yeah, by the way, we're, we're going to have an after party at our house and uh, you guys are going to play there too. And so he had this story about his, his dad's hard rock band basically being kidnapped by Hells Angels, like being told just like, no, you're going to play our after party too. You're going to take your stuff and you're going to come to our house and you're going to play there too. But his dad was just like a mechanic and a hard rocker who played the drums. And his mom was hot. I never saw her, but, you know, he didn't say his mom was hot. He didn't go like, oh, by the way, my mom's hot. But you could tell. You could tell that, like, his, his mom had had, like, big hair in the 80s. You could tell that, like, she was the type of woman who was probably kind of wild, probably really hot, and married this hard rock drummer, mechanic. But then they produced this ultra nerd son which that happens more often than not. Like you think about nerds and you're like, oh, he probably comes from a nerdy family. He probably comes from a nerdy family. Not always the case. There's an interesting breed of nerd, and I've known more than one, who have like a, like a rocker dad and some like hot groupie type mom, like some hot bimbo mom. Like there were these two brothers too that went to my school. They barely even functioned. They were so nerdy. Like, they weren't autistic. People didn't have autism then. People didn't have autism when I grew up. It was very rare. These guys, they weren't autistic, but, like, there were these two brothers who were, they were both very overweight. One of them had glasses and a bowl cut. And they they were just, they could barely function. They were so nerdy. They weren't cool nerdy. They weren't like Dr. John. Because Dr. John was nerdy, but he was, he listened to Blind Guardian all the time. He was very funny. These guys weren't funny. They weren't interested in anything. They were just like boring nerds who could barely function. But I saw their mom pick them up once. Like, but the thing is, too, you, they live with their grandma. Like a lot of these guys who, who are really nerdy but have a hot mom and like some burnout rocker dad, they often live with their grandma for obvious reasons. And the, so these two nerdy brothers, they live with their grandma but their mom was still in their life. It was just like she couldn't be their sole guardian or something. But one time I saw their mom pick them up and she was fucking hot. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Like immediately it made sense. I was like, oh, it makes sense that this like ultra freaking hot blonde mom with big hair who was probably living it up in the 1980s. It makes total sense. Like she probably wore like leopard skin dresses and had a huge perm because she still kind of looks like that. It makes total sense that she has these two, like, mutant nerd sons. And um, 
it made complete sense too that Dr. John came from these like cool rocker parents with like a hot bimbo mom. It just made complete sense. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe if I had actually met his parents, I'd have a different take, but I don't think I'm wrong. Interesting phenomenon. But then there was another time that John managed to work Blind Guardian into the classroom, what we call working a little Blind Guardian into the classroom, where we were in English class and we had a substitute teacher. And there was this one kid in our class who was a complete ham. I knew him my entire life. He had severe ADHD. He always acted in school plays. He always he sang. Um, he did he did the talent show one year, and he sang that song that's like, "If I go crazy, will you still call me Superman?" Like three doors down, two doors down, whatever that band is. That song was big. They played it one year when I played football. They used that as the soundtrack to our highlight reel video at the end of the year. Like all these boys at the the team party just sat there watching highlights of themselves with a soundtrack of Three Doors Down, Superman. But that kid, he he did uh, if if I go crazy, will you still call me Superman for the talent show? And he did air guitar, but in earnest. Like he was the kind of kid who would do air guitar while he's on stage at the talent show and do it in earnest. And speaking of highlight reels, that was really the age of highlight reels because in front of the whole school at lunch, they would play videos. They would play like, you know, just like school-related videos. And they played a highlight reel of the talent show and they showed him singing that song, but they slowed it down when he did air guitar and he was headbanging. But, you know, we had a substitute teacher in English class one day and like it just turned into absolute chaos at the end of the period and so that kid got in front of the whole class because he had no shame. He would just do anything. And he got up in front of the class and he just started singing at the top of his lungs. I don't know what he was singing. You can imagine. Because he was into like new metal. He was into like alternative rock. So he was probably singing something like that. Just at the top of his lungs, a cappella in front of his entire class. Just standing in front of the entire class, totally unprompted. He just started singing. But then Dr. John got a wild hair and then he went up in front of the class and he had all the Blind Guardian uh, lyrics memorized, which is amazing because I'm bad at lyric memorization myself. But John had all the Blind Guardian lyrics memorized and he got up in front of the class and he just started belting and he couldn't sing and he started belting out Blind Guardian songs a cappella at the top of his lungs to the entire English class, not for any project, just because the day had turned into chaos. And so I'm just sitting there, I'm egging him on because I'm just like, this is incredible. I don't think people in this classroom know how great this is. I don't think people know how incredible this is. This is Dr. John belting out acapella Blind Guardian songs for no reason in front of the entire class. And then a few years later, like after high school, I moved away and I was talking to this other guy, this other nerdy guy that I knew who it turned out had moved into an apartment with John. And I was like, so, and, and they had started smoking weed and stuff. And I was talking to him about that. I was like, so does John smoke with you? Because John never partied or anything. And uh, he's like, yeah, it's a little rough though. He's like, because like John will take a hit and then he'll go in his room and I just hear Blind Guardian at full volume and him singing along. And he's like, it's honestly a little too intense. Like, it's, it's, it's just a little too intense. Like, so I have to be careful. <laughs> but I was like, man, like, just imagining John getting high for the first time and, and hearing Blind Guardian. That must have been, he must have been listening and he must have been like, I, what instrument is that? Actually, I ran into John one time downtown in high school when I was on mushrooms. I was, I was on an eighth of mushrooms. And I just went down and I, I sat down at the the outdoor seating at Starbucks. And I was just watching the world go by. I was watching the world go by. And uh, that was a, a very enlightening experience, actually, because I saw classmates there was a one of like the main grocery store in town was right across the street from where I was sitting. So I was just watching everybody go by on a huge amount of mushrooms, you know, and ate the mushrooms enough enough to where I was tripping pretty hard. 
and there was a guy who he he was at our high school and he was a a Mormon football player and he was honestly a pretty nice kid. I didn't really know him, but he was a hardcore Mormon football player and he had gotten a job as parking enforcement in the downtown parking lot. And my best friend happened to stop by who was not on mushrooms, but he just sat down with me. He ran into me and he was like, "Hey there." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, I'm tripping hard." And so we were just kind of talking about life. And we looked over and we see the Mormon football player doing his security role. And he's going by and he's like looking at cars and he's like checking cars to make sure they paid for parking. And my friend just goes like, dude, look at him. He's like, what a dick. Like, look at what a dick he is. And it it was, you know, again, you know, I'm telling a lot of like you had to be there stories, but still like being on an eighth of mushrooms watching this Mormon football player do his parking security enforcement job and like watching him be a stickler about parking regulations it was just one of those absurdities of life and like hearing my friend just say what a dick it just reverberated but soon after that who shows up but john and he's in like a forum shirt because he was part of this forum that was very big at the time called something awful It was a humor website that was just devoted to like internet nerd humor. And he was, he would go to meetups. He would go to conventions. Like there's a video online of a something awful forum meetup in Las Vegas. And I saw it and I watched it deliberately. I saw it when it came out and I watched it because I didn't go to something awful. I didn't, I wasn't part of that, but I knew all about it from John. And I, I wanted, I saw that video mentioned somewhere because this was a huge website during that era. And I, I was like, I'm going to watch this convention video because I was like, I wonder if I'm going to see John. And sure enough, there's a scene from like a hotel suite where everybody's partying. And it's just like the, the, the video camera is scanning the room. And all of a sudden, this guy just pops his head into the frame. And I'm like, fuck, it's It's John. It's John. It was, it, I, I watched it hoping to see John and it wasn't like he was just caught in the background. He literally just like shot his head into the frame. No blind guardian lyrics. That'd be great. If he just starts singing blind guardian lyrics into the camera. But when I was on mushrooms, like John just sat down and he wasn't a prude or anything, but still like, I don't think he'd ever been high or, or even drunk at that point. And he sat down and he was with a guy that he met from the internet. And he just sat down with me and he was trying to talk like we normally talk. But at that point, I was gone. At that point, like I was just tripping way too hard. And there's no way that I could just see a classmate and have a sane conversation. But John sat down and he was he was saying things to me and they weren't making any sense. And so I was just like, yeah, uh huh. And then I saw him like the next Monday at school and he was just like, yeah, you seem really off. And I was like, oh, I was tripping on mushrooms. And he was like, oh, but still like I, I'm proud to say that I've, I, I did get to experience John, you know, on a dose of mushrooms. Amazing kid though. Just a real phenomenon of a human being. But uh, that kid, you know, the blind guardian thing was great because I don't even know how he got introduced to that. Like, I didn't even know that he liked music. So somehow he found blind guardian and it just it it spoke to him. He knew all the lyrics. He had no shame about singing that at full volume in front of the entire English class with no instruments, no project, just screaming pretty much to the point where the substitute actually had to tell him to be quiet. She was like, Be, do it quieter. Because you could hear that in all the classrooms. You could hear that in all the hallways. It was so loud. That's magic. You know, that's magic. That's why kids need to be in school. That's why public school is good. Public school is good because of whale tail thongs and because you meet these kids who just came out of like some weird union between a rock drummer mechanic and an 80s bimbo and they had this like super nerd son who was obsessed with blind guardian you know that's public school that's why public school is a good thing 
Anybody who tells you that public school is bad socially is wrong. Because you got to see whale tail thongs and you got to hear super nerds who are the product of some unholy union between 80s rockers just belt out Blind Guardian lyrics. There was an element of chaos to it. Like, I don't know what private school is like. You know, people always talk about the schoolgirl thing. Oh, dude, the Catholic schoolgirls. I never cared about Catholic schoolgirl outfits. You think I cared about Catholic schoolgirl outfits? That was never attractive to me. I imagine private school, though, was very methodical. You know, I know that Catholic kids are known for partying. I know that Catholic girls had a reputation for getting down, as they say. But there's something about the chaos of public schools that I loved where you just never knew what you were going to encounter. You never knew what kind of kid you were going to encounter. You never knew, you know, the girls, you got because girls got to wear what they wanted, so you never knew what you were going to see. So, you know, when people say, like, homeschool your kids, I totally understand. I totally understand why our education system is totally warped especially some of the things they've just started teaching. I completely understand why you don't want your kids exposed to that. But there's this whole other element to it that it makes me sad that kids will potentially miss out on that. It makes me sad that kids won't go to high school and see whale tail thongs in the computer lab. It makes me sad that they won't see, they won't meet Dr. John. You know, that's such a vital experience. And I can tell you 100%, 100%, I wouldn't be who I am today, for better and worse, for both, and everything in between and beyond, but I wouldn't be who I am today without public school. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children